Good morning. And I don't know why I did that voice, but good morning. Chester Franklin, and it's been a while since I actually released a podcast episode on a Friday. So, with that being said, happy Chester Franklin Friday once again. And if you got through my podcast last week, episode 34, titled Rape is Wrong, where I called all of you a big bunch of rapists, um, and you're tuning in today, nonwithstanding, I really do appreciate you, and I love you as my audience, and I just want you guys to know you're amazing. Um, you know, I... I'm really, I'm really speechless. I love my audience. I finally have a steady following. You reach out, you show me love. And episode after episode, you return for more of my shenanigans that at some times are borderline signs of uh, mental health decline. But you have to think. You know, I I do this for you guys, men, women, he, hers, hims, thems, theirs. I do this for all of you. But I also do it for me. I know sometimes the things that I say are a little, uh, for a lack of a better term, edgy. It just it just is what it is. I I can't control my sense of humor. And at the end of the day, I do this for me because I crack myself up. And I just hope that some of you are able to appreciate it. I actually, for a fact, know that some of you really appreciate it and really enjoy it. So, again, thank you for tuning in with me for another episode. This is episode number 35 of the Fork and Socket podcast. And once again, I am Chester Franklin. And I'm thinking of calling this episode, well, I'm already recording, so the thought's already done and manifested. The name of this episode is Human Experiments, okay? And I'm not talking about the type of human experiments like uh, like Joseph Mengele of the Nazis would, you know, perform separating Siamese twins, conjoined twins, the ones stuck together, conjoined twins, and then sewing them back together. You know what I'm saying? I'm not um, trying to give, you know, babies fish gills to see if I can make humans survive without actually having lungs. I'm not doing, you know, Nazi-style human experiments. I'm not doing experiments like maybe uh, Jeffrey Dahmer would do. But I do, to a big extent, uh, see humans as experiments. And that kind of sounds a little creepy. But 
a lot of my life, most of my life, I have, in my own form and fashion, almost like a Sigmund Freud, if you will, some type of psychoanalysis, I do things to experiment with the reactions of others and I gain gratification from it. Let me get into some examples. So here's here's a life story of times that even before my community college days, when, you know, when I very first started community college in 2012, the beginning of January 2012, um, I started community college four years after I graduated high school. And my major was psychology. Like anyone who doesn't expect to have a career when they graduate. Like anyone still living at home with their parents. Like anyone who thinks that they're some type of sociological genius. I... I aimed to be a psychologist because my mother had mental health issues and really I, I seek to understand them. But then it got deeper because everyone has their own traits. Everyone has reactions and those reactions are reactions from past experiences and, you know, the world's a very fascinating place and I really like to study human behavior in my own way. So to get to the comedy part of this, um, this is for how I would kind of study human behavior. So from a previous episode, there's an episode called Dakota's Tits. And I know I only have 34 episodes out, but the episode titled Dakota's Tits is one of my favorite episodes. And it's about a friend of mine named Dakota, and he had, I mean, mouth-watering tits for, for a child, for a child of maybe five or six years old. And to this day, I can still close my eyes and envision them. And I'm no pedophile. But if I was, you know, like, I, I probably wouldn't like the rest of them because he was like, you know, he was tall as a man and just like really fat. But his tits, if you could just like cut his tits off and I don't know, put them on a shelf or something and okay, this is getting kind of weird. He had amazing tits. I recommend that episode, okay? But at some point in time, as with most of my friends that I would push to the limits and see how they would react, you know, we, we fell out and I tried to poison him. He was a very loyal friend, Dakota. One time, you know, we were, we were throwing, you know, I got him to start throwing rocks at cars. And he would try to hide behind a fire hydrant, even though he was like two feet taller than the fire hydrant, even as he was crouching down. And so people would get out of the car like, what the fuck? And he kind of looked like a, like if you run up on a cat and go, what? Ah! 
ah! They kind of like, their eyes shake, their head shakes. They kind of, they jump back a little bit, but they don't really instantly know what to do. That's kind of what would happen to Dakota because I would direct him to throw rocks at cars. Like, I did it once, and I'd take off running, and then he kind of, you know, slowly started kind of catching on. And so it got to the point where I would just tell him to go throw rocks at cars. And I'd stand next to him. And one time a, a Westcat was driving by. And we're right in front of his house. And I say, hey, th you know, because he was my human experiment. Hey, guinea pig. Hey, you fat fucking retard. Throw, throw a rock at the Westcat. And so he did it. But this was like the first time, you know, I finally started realizing like, oh, people will kind of like, they'll do what I say. Because I was a year older than him. And so he, he threw a, walk, a rock at the Westcat. And I ran down the side of his house. But I think he didn't know, like, he didn't understand what getting in trouble was. He didn't know what causing havoc was yet. So he just stood there. And it was, it was a hood-ass bus driver. And this bitch opens up the door. You motherfucker! What the fuck is wrong with you? I don't just started letting him have it, and he's just like he's just standing there. I'm ducked behind a broken down car on the side of his house, and I kind of peek my my head out from the side of this broken down car, and I just see him standing there like, uh, uh, like not even really understanding what he did, knowing he fucked up, but not really understanding what he did. And, um, that's when I first kind of started realizing that I can, um, experiment with people and make them kind of do what I want them to do. So the next task I had for Dakota was that, you know, I wanted to make some money ever since I've been five or six years old. I've, I've been a hustler, you know, I'd go door to door. I would, uh, I learned this in kindergarten. You can fold Construction paper, construction paper comes in all sorts of colors. You can fold it in such a way, crease it in such a way that you can create a fan, like a hand fan. You kind of just, you know, you can fan yourself down like a woman in a Baptist church on a hot summer southern day. And what I would do is I'd make a whole shoebox filled with these and I would go door to door and sell them for 25 cents each. To this day, I don't know how I avoided being kidnapped, molested, raped. I mean, you know, I, I could have been the next, the, the grown-up version of the Gerber baby. I was a very cute child. But I think, you know, I think that as cute as I was, and as molestable as I think that I was, or rapeable, or kidnappable, you know, I think uh, a lot of people sensed that I was kind of grown up in my drive, and that if I was unhappy with the situation, that I'd probably tell. You know, like you, you kind of want to kidnap a kid, and molest a kid that won't say anything. Shut your fucking mouth, you retard. 
You're done when I say you're done. Okay, that's kind of dark. Let's just say, in my mind, I was I was grade A material. If I was me, and I'm not even a kidnapper, I would kidnap myself because I was so cute. But apparently, I wasn't sexy. I was cute, but not sexy. And there's a big difference. A big difference. Like in porn, for example. When you're watching porn, you could, you could Google up stuff like... Um, I don't know, like uh, nerd porn or uh, nerdy girl in glasses. And videos, I, I am 100% sure, will pop up. And it's not my thing. But I'm just saying, there's porn out there for every type of genre and taste. Okay? And it can be like, you know, a cute little nerd, little innocent video game nerd, and you can... You could put, play tug of war with yourself over over that. My style has always been trashy or dirty, kind of sweaty looking, like not like not in my personal um not in my personal relationships since since I since my my early 20s. But um, just like in porn in general, you know, that would be what I what I would look up. Um, you know, I want a Jenna Jameson. You know, I want to. Um, uh, fuck, what was her name? Uh, Jade. Uh, man, I used to watch her all the time. I like, I, you know, I loved Ebony porn. But she was like Jade something. J oh, Jade of Fire. Jade of Fire. That's who she was. That's my style. You know, I want to... I want to watch somebody, because it, it was not like I was doing it. I want to watch somebody ram you hard. Okay? So as a child, I was more of that, you know, kind of... I, I wouldn't consider myself a nerd, but I was more cute. You know, cutesy. And not everybody really wants to fuck cutesy. Some people want to fuck a bar whore. And I wasn't, you know, a, a sexy bar whore. And that's not the vibe I was giving off um, at that age when I was selling <sighs> construction paper fans door to door without my parents' knowledge. But getting back to Dakota, how I would use them as my human experiment um, and and, you know... Me being a hustler, I'm like, okay, this kid ain't that bright. I can get him to make money for me. And I'm surprised I didn't become a pimp when I got older. Not that I didn't have opportunities, but, uh, you know, I like to, I like to experiment on people for fun, not necessarily for, for financial gain. But, um, this is how I discovered that I didn't like to subject people to my whims for my own financial gain. I got Dakota. There was a blacktop, you know, right by my house. And so I, I seen he had one of those empty, like Folgers coffee cans. And some people use them as, as in some bars, even, you know, use them as uh, they'll fill them with sand and use them as, um, cigarette, uh, ashtrays, ashtrays. 
Well, he had an empty one, like just like a clean one. So what we did was we wrote tips on it. We wrote tips and we put it on the edge of the street in the blacktop. And I got Dakota to start dancing, dancing for tips from cars passing by. Well, he seemed a little uncomfortable, so I, I, I kind of joined him a little bit, I, but I kept it simple. I did just kind of like the disco dance, you know, where like you point your finger and like you point to your hip, then diagonally, diagonally, am I, I, that doesn't seem like I'm saying that right, but you know what I'm saying, and diagonally um, shooting my arm my finger and pointing to the sky and then back to the hip and then back to the sky and kind of, you know, gyrating my hips while I do it, you know, a little, little disco dance. I'm keeping it simple. But see, I noticed we weren't really making any tips from the passerbys. Well, Dakota had that fantastic rack. I said, Dakota, lift up your shirt. When you see a car, when you see a car driving by, you do the fucking truffle shuffle, all right? You, you pull your shirt up, show your fucking grade A rack that would make Harvey Weinstein sweat and jiggle around, okay? We're not going to make money at this rate if you don't start showing some initiative for our business venture. And sure enough, as soon as Dakota started, you know, flashing his tits, there was this old school... It was like primer white, but it was a, you know, a 1960 something Impala. It wasn't a 67. It might have even been as, I'm not a big car expert, but it, it could have been as late as like a 71 or 72, but it was a very wide kind of Impala that you, you might see, you know, Snoop Dogg riding in. It was, it was, it was nice. It wasn't painted up, but it was like a very nice, you know, old school car. So they drove past us, us two kids dancing on the side of the street like we're in the red light district in Amsterdam trying to get some Johns to come fuck us for some money and they see our tip jar and they drive by and then they circle around and a big grin came across my face I said see Dakota I knew we could do it we're about to be filthy rich my brother well they they didn't stop all the way when they turned back around. They kind of like pulled up beside us. Like they were still like fishy if we we're undercover cops or if this was like, you know, if Chris Hansen was going to uh, pop out on them. And a white dude hangs out the window and yells to us. And mind you, he, Dakota's five and I'm six. He said, here you go, motherfuckers. And he threw a bunch of pennies at us, a handful of pennies, like, like hit us with a handful of pennies. And they drove off because, you know, that's wrong. You like, you don't just like throw stuff at little kids. But me and Dakota, I'd never seen him so proud of himself. He finally realized he can accomplish something. And we dove for those pennies and we picked them up so quick. And we went to the store and we got a little five pack of chiclets. 
because they were only like five cents, 10 cents, something like that. Very, very cheap. And we didn't really have that much change because pennies don't really add up to much. But ladies and gentlemen, that was the best gum, the best tasting gum that I ever tasted since and before then. Because I earned it. Oh, well, Dakota earned it. Dakota was blessed by God with an amazing rack. And because of that, and with a little coaching, we uh, got to enjoy the best tasting cheeklets that the mind can imagine. Imagine, I don't know if you've ever seen the old school Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. How good when they when they first kind of go into the room, Willy Wonka brings all those kids. None of them are dead yet. They all like, you know, go into the Willy Wonka chocolate factory and you see the chocolate waterfall and you can eat everything from the flowers and everything. Because Dakota showed his tits, I relived that experience, but in real life with liquor store five cent liquor store, um, Mexican bubblegum and I'll always be thankful to Dakota for that. But see, it didn't stop there with me using him as an experiment because eventually we kind of grew apart. And what I said in the last episode about Dakota's tits, uh, is that when, when anybody, not just Dakota, but when anybody uh, stopped being my friend, they weren't allowed to come outside anymore because, like, not because their parents told them they couldn't, but because I told them they couldn't. And if they came out, I would beat their ass. They're not my friend anymore. If you're not my friend anymore, then, I mean, you're kind of my enemy. So, I decided to experiment. I knew I could get Dakota to pretty much strip and dance for money. I knew I could get him to vandalize and throw rocks at, at city, city transit, public transit and, and personal vehicles. But now I wanted to see how much he could trust me. So I chose to poison him. And this was years later. Uh, I was in high school by this point, or I was just starting my freshman year of high school. And I met, you know, I met some new friends and so I was kind of just ready to trim the fat and kind of do away with old friends, you know, puberty and such. You kind of just kind of grow apart from people. So I just kind of didn't want Dakota on the earth anymore. Well, my grandpa, he's a real big, like, I don't want to say farmer because, you know, we're in the inner city. It wasn't not even the inner city. I don't really know what to how to explain. It's a small town. But we didn't have no farmland, but my what land that my grandpa did have, like in the backyard and stuff, he grew a bunch of fruit trees and he would grow like corn and he would rotate his crops, grow tomatoes and potatoes and cucumbers and squash and all sorts of shit, right? Well, he had a problem with snails. Snails would eat the leaves of a lot of the stuff that he was growing in the backyard. So he kept a lot of snail poison. And what I used to do when I was younger is I used to 
go into my grandparents' house and pack all of my friends a bag lunch. And I only had two or three at the time when I started this um, idea. And my Nana, she was all for it. And she would help me pack, you know, two, three Oreos and in each sandwich bag. So I get like three for me, three for one. They would eventually start jacking my dog off. Three for Dakota. You know, and I'd, I'd split everything up evenly and put it in a brown paper bag and come outside and hang out with my friends and feed them. And we would just, you know, live it up. I would also fill used water bottles up with, uh, my Nana used to try to spoil me and she would get already made Nesquik chocolate milk. This is when they started putting it in cartons finally. So you didn't have to mix it yourself and eat all the dust off the surface of the, uh, of the milk in the glass because it, it never fully dissolved. Let's face it. But Nesquik got smart and started having it already mixed in, um, yeah, so I poured three bottles, one for me, one for Juan, and one for Dakota. Juan was still in my good graces. Dakota had to go. So in Dakota's, and I made sure to separate his, I, I put like two of the bags in one hand and then the, the poison bag in the other that had the, um, I poured chocolate milk. And then I poured a snail poison in it. And so I went out and hung out with my friends. And I just watched Dakota enjoy the Oreos. I watched him enjoy the tuna sandwiches that my Nana made. And I watched him enjoy the lunch. But I anxiously kept looking over at him to see, you know, waiting for him to drink the poison chocolate milk. And for some reason, I don't know if he was just spoiled or ungrateful. I, I really don't know why he didn't drink the chocolate milk. It was probably God. But, uh... Yeah, I was about 13. I was going into high school, I believe. So I was going to be, yeah, I was going to be 14. And, um, whoa, that kind of sounds weird that I'm still kind of packing bagged lunches for my friends, right? At that age, I just kind of realized that, uh, but it is what it is. I can't take it back and I wouldn't take it back. But yeah, at 13 years old, I was trying to kill off one of my friends and Something told him, I guess, not to drink it. He wouldn't drink the chocolate milk. He's like, no, I'm okay. No, really, I'm not really in the mood for it. It kind of just seemed like he was just uninterested. He was already full. And he's already kind of fat, so maybe he was trying to watch his weight. He started, he's old enough now, you know, at that point to start becoming, like, body conscious and stuff like that. And um, he's like, no, you can have it. And I'm like, okay, cool, thank you. And I, you know, put it in my back pocket. But, of course, I didn't drink it because there's snail poison in there. So good survival instincts on that kid. You know, he wasn't the brightest tool in the shed, but his parents raised him to, to sense pending death. Or is it impending death? Whatever. Uh, he didn't drink the poison, and that's probably good for me because if you're older than six or seven years old in California, um, if you murder somebody, you will be held responsible. If you're younger than that, you, you, you'll be okay.
you're not going to go to jail. But after that, yeah, you're you're fair game. You're fair game for prison. So in hindsight, I kind of am glad he didn't drink it. <sighs> but also in hindsight, I kind of wish that he did. Because since I've cut him off, he's still not my friend. And again, if you're not my friend, you're my enemy. So, you know, I hope he believes in God because God saved him. I was, I was going to cut his cable, you know what I'm saying? I was going to shut his water off. He was done. If it was up to me. But you know the Bible says evil will never prosper. At least not for long. Um, another way that I would experiment with people, if if you're still listening, I'm sorry, that was kind of like a long tirade. But um, I have multiple stories. This is going to be a long episode, you guys. But you deserve it. When I turned 18, I became a security guard. And if you go back to my episode of Security is Lit, you'll hear that I was on a bunch of drugs. I was lit all the time on all sorts of drugs. But another pastime while I was at work at 18 years old is experimenting with humans seeing how much they would trust me, seeing what I can get away with, seeing their reactions. And if they didn't react, the satisfaction of knowing that they didn't know what I just did to them. So as a security guard, there was this gate. I worked at a refinery and there was this gate that we called main gate. It's pretty much the main entrance into the refinery. And I really didn't like my coworkers. And I really didn't like my supervisor. Well, main gate is where kind of the uh, employee break room was at. There was a room in the back and there was a little mini fridge. And you can kind of store things in there, you know, to eat for lunch later. And again, like I said, I didn't like my supervisor. She really liked me. She was a cool person. So I don't really know why I did this other than just to experiment. She used to keep a gallon of milk in that mini fridge. And yeah, it took up a lot of space. It's a mini fridge. So that was very selfish of her. But I didn't hold that against her. It's just that she just kind of forced me in a conversation. Sometimes you could tell she was not very popular, pretty much her entire life. Unlike myself. And so she would force you into conversations that you'd want to blow yourself. You'd rather blow your brains out or go in the, uh, in the porta potty and, and masturbate instead of, you know, deal with it. But you want to be in the, you know, manager or supervisor's good graces. So I would entertain it and just go along with it. Well, when she wasn't it at main gate, when she wasn't around me, what I would do is I would go into the mini fridge and I would, I would spit in her milk. I would spit in her gallon of milk and I'd mix it up. And to be fair, I don't really remember hawking loogies because, you know, loogies, they're too thick. They're not going to mix in. Like, you'll know if you kind of drink up some loogie. If it gets through your lips, you know, it's going to it's gonna kind of be like an oyster. When you suck an oyster, like, you're going you're gonna to feel it, you know. And I wanted to be discreet because I wanted to see if she can tell. Because back then, I was 
a real big pothead, I would smoke two ounces of weed a week. And so I'm like, I wonder if she'll she'll taste the weed, you know, the weed that's on my breath that I spit into her milk. And so I'd kind of like watch her eat cereal and use the milk. And I guess the cereal maybe diluted a little bit. She didn't know. She didn't know. Well, I befriended one coworker and he was from Fiji. And that's pretty much Indian people that live on the island of Fiji. They look like dead on the same. And they pretty much eat the same type of food, curry and stuff, right? And this Fijian coworker of mine, he used to, um, he would share some of his food that his family would cook. It was like shrimp in, it was like a green, either a green or a yellow kind of curry. It was actually very good. Well, I let him in on the prank that I was doing to the supervisor. I was like, hey, I spit in her milk. He was like, really? I'm like, yeah, watch. Spit in her milk. He's like, oh, oh, that's great. So then he started doing it. But this is where I got worried because he eats curry. That's a very distinct flavor. And he has it all, you know, he ate curry every day. So not only do I smell it coming out of his pores, which is, you know, come on, that's usual. If you've, if you've ever worked with somebody from Fiji or India, come on, you know, they don't, they don't smell like, they don't smell like uh, bod, body spray. They don't smell like axe. They smell like fucking curry. You know what I'm saying? And that's not being racist or nothing. That's like, that's facts. God strike me down right now if I'm wrong. But, um, you know, he started spitting in her milk. So we would both spit in her milk and our supervisor's milk. And, you know, I'm a milk connoisseur. I love milk. I don't drink almond milk. And I don't drink soy milk. And I don't drink rice milk because almonds, soybeans, and rice don't have tits. So that's not milk. I'm not a fan of goat milk. But in general, I only drink milk that comes from tits. And specifically, honestly, you know, I only like milk that comes from cow's tits. So, I'm a connoisseur. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. I know when milk tastes right and when it tastes wrong. I'm like Napoleon Dynamite in the scene where he's milk tasting. And he's like, he, he sips the milk. He's like, this cow got into a onion patch. I'm that good when it comes to milk. If it's 1% milk, I get violent. I can't even, I don't even go, you know, no, no, that's not milk. That's water. I'm very picky with my milk. So I'm thinking, okay, well, she drinks this milk every day. Let's see if she tastes marijuana curry spit in her milk. And she never did. So that was one experiment with her. And then at the same job, we had a, a water dispenser. You know, the ones that when you go into an office building, um, they have like the blue, the blue tab 
and then there's a red tab. And if you want hot water, obviously you press the red one down. And if you want cold water, you press the blue one down. And it's like a five gallon, you know, just to use a example of a company like an Alhambra five gallon jug, upside down jug that is in this dispenser. Well, I decided one day to experiment on humans again. When the water would run out, whoever was working at Main Gate would be responsible for changing that water. And we had other sealed jugs outside. So you'd go get a seal. You'd take the empty one out there to be picked up by Alhambra. And then you'd bring, you know, the full five gallon jug in and put it in top of the uh, dispenser. Well, again, I hated my coworkers. So it was time for a human experiment. So I popped the top, looked around, nobody was pulling up, nobody was in the office with me, I was alone, and there was no cameras there, and so I peed into the five-gallon jug, because I wanted my co-workers to drink my piss, but I was also aware that I smoked so much weed at the time that I could smell the weed in my piss. And water is flavorless, so I can't put too much pee in there. But I peed a few shot glasses full into the jug, swirled it around the best I could and and put it in that dispenser. And boy, did I get pleasure out of watching all my coworkers drink my piss. Because they were pieces of shit. And they didn't do anything to me. They didn't even do anything to me, but I just looked at them like trash. You know, but I, I mean, I was the one that was trash for even who thinks that, you know, but I did and they didn't deserve it. But then again, yes, they did because I said so. And I just wanted to see, you know, like how much, how much piss can I put in there before they taste it? So I watched their reactions as they drank it, but it was summertime, so they they were just happy to get hydrated. And even if it did taste a little funny, you know, they might kind of look down at the glass and then swig it some more, and I'm like, yeah, drink my piss. And uh, that's pretty much the end of the story for that part. So... When I was 15 years old, let's get on to this last story and I'll let you guys go. When I was 15, 16, no, I had to be 16. I just got my driver's license and I just got a car, a 1995 Honda Civic. But at 15, right before I turned 16, I bought a 32 caliber revolver handgun. Uh, off of the streets. It was the handle grip was all taped up with wire tape. And honestly, the the when I did finally go and experiment uh, and try to shoot the gun, the there was like thirty two long rounds in there, so the bullets wouldn't even fire. So good thing, you know, I discovered that early on. But I would ride around with this gun when I still thought that the bullets fit the fit the revolver. They just stuck out a little too much. The hammer wouldn't hit it 
the pin, you know, it wouldn't, the firing hammer, it wouldn't hit right in the middle of the bullet. So the bullet wouldn't fire. It would hit like around the edge. So it just wasn't working. The bullets were too long. So I needed like shorts. I needed 32 shorts. Um, so at that age, I just got my license and I befriended this, this heroin addict or drug addict. I mean, I, I think he would just pretty much do anything. And his name was Emilio. And I met him in front of the local liquor store where he sat every day. He would sit there every day with a pile of sticks on the, at the side of him. And what he would do is he would, he had like all these like little mini files and knives and sandpaper, and he would divide these sticks up, these branches, if you will, pretty much branches. And he would start carving pipes out of them and pipes for like weed. And they, some of them looked pretty good, but he always made the bowl so small. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, you can't fit. I'm, I'm smoking two ounces a week, dude. I can't, I'm not going to put 0.1 gram of weed. I'm not going to put a little, little sliver, a little pinch of weed in your, I'm not going to buy this pipe from you because he used to make them at the liquor store, and then also try to sell them to people coming in and out. It just, the bowls were never big enough. So every time he would sell it to me, I'm like, hey, you know, just make it bigger. And so next time I would see him, he had another one, and the bowl might be a little bit bigger, but not really by much. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to buy it. But he always tried to sell it to me, and, you know, I, I appreciate his creativity. He would hustle and stuff. You know, he was doing his, his thing for, you know, for how a dope fiend needs to do it, I guess. Well, I befriended him, and sometimes I would even, you know, allow him in my car, and I would smoke weed with him. I would roll up a blunt and let him smoke my weed. And I asked him questions. Hey, you know, why are you homeless? What happened? And he would tell me a story about, you know, how, uh, how his parents still support him, you know, financially in some aspects, even though he's homeless, like they, they'll still sometimes give him a little bit of money. Um, but pretty much he met a girl and she got him to try heroin or meth or something like that. I think it was heroin, if I remember correctly. And Emilio, he was a really cool dude. So, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, if you do meth or heroin, you probably also have, like, herpes or something. So I don't really know why I would be putting my lips on the same blunt as him. But I did. And I would hang out with him. So we got kind of on a, on a familiar basis. But I didn't respect him. I just turned 16. I'm getting bolder. I have a gun now. You know, I don't... I was preparing to do a human experiment on somebody at an ATM machine. I was pre preparing to do a human experiment to see if I could take their money. But I didn't want some random person that's going to fight back, right? So one day I kind of start pulling into the, uh, the liquor store. And I see Emilio. And he's kind of crossing the street. He sees me, kind of stops me. So I roll my window down and I thought to myself, okay, here's a scumbag. Let me do a human experiment. He's like, hey, you know, what's up, Chester? And he kind of started leaning into my window. And that's when I 
I pulled my gun out on him. I stuck to his face. I said, get the fuck back. He's like, hey, man, hey. He kind of stepped back a little bit, which made me nervous he was going to try to fight for the gun because then I would have to blow his brains out. You you know, you, you're not going to give your gun up because you don't want to get shot. So once you whip out, you have to be prepared to shoot. So I was pretty much going to shoot him for no reason, but I was just kind of testing the waters to see how he would react. And I spooked him a little, and he backed up. And I was very crude with him. I said, you homeless fucking scum. I ought to blow your brains out. Nobody will fucking miss you, you fucking dope fiend. You fucked your family over. I fucked your girlfriend that turned you out into drugs. And guess what? I'm still kind of, well, kind of sober. Like, I'm not on meth or heroin. I do coke, but it's my choice. And our relationship was never actually really the same after that. Because, like, you know, I seen him after. I'm like, hey, man, no hard feelings. You know, I didn't tell him that I was using him as a guinea pig uh, for a potential future armed robbery. But, you know, I didn't really need him as a friend anyway. And I didn't need any of these people as, as friends. And that's why I experimented on them. They were my human experiments. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I have more human exper experiment stories, but I think this is long enough. So take care. I love you guys. Till next week. This is Chester Franklin signing out. Fork and Socket Podcast. Thank you for listening. I love you. Bye-bye.